great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, Bills Mafia? Matt Perino, Ryan Talbot in the house on a Tuesday evening, 4.30. The Bills wrapped up the, the second open practice of OTAs this afternoon, May 30th. We got one more to go next week, but a lot to dive into on today's show. Ryan Talbot, how are you, buddy? Hey, doing great. Excited to talk some Bills OTAs. Yeah, and so I think the best place to start is probably what I think is going to be the top storyline that Bills fans want to track over the course of the spring and the summer, Dalton Kincaid, right? Like, how does he look? Um, how is he, you know, um, getting himself engaged into the Bills offense, understanding the playbook, you know, working with uh, teammates. And I think like what we saw here over the course of the p- past week was, was really interesting. We saw last week was his first, time we saw him with Josh Allen and getting a chance to see just the the side conversations that were happening, the side work happening with Dawson Knox, who usually works solo with tight ends coach Rob Boris. And now you're entering Dalton Kincaid into that mix. And so there's a lot of learning going on. I mean, even for a lot of young players, like second year players, I, I'm doing a feature story on Terrell Bernard. I got a chance to talk to him today. We're going to talk about him in a few minutes. Um, and he was just talking about how like the learning just never stops. I mean, you think, the year one to year two jump is so big for some players and it is, but there's still like so much that goes into the nuances of playing professional football at all these different positions. So right now it's all about like, you know, getting the playbook, getting to a level where you understand what you're supposed to do. And when you go out and teamwork, be able to execute at some level, you know, uh, of average level, especially for rookies. Why I think the biggest thing to start with Ryan is we saw a sizable jump, from last week to this week in Kincaid's involvement during team drills. So last week, I mentioned it on the show, no targets throughout all of teamwork. And, you know, um, I don't think that's a surprise. This is his first practice with Josh Allen. Big uptick this week. I, I noted that he had five targets. He only had one where it didn't result in a completion. And the only reason that that was the case was because it was a, it was a, a bomb. Bernard was in coverage, uh, would have gone for a touchdown. But Josh Allen seemed to kind of take it on himself. Like, my bad. I, I put it too far. He couldn't kind of run it down. But overall, from a, a practice performance perspective, I thought this was a really nice uptick for Dalton Kincaid this week. Yeah, it's exactly what you want to see from week one to week two of OTAs. And you kind of mentioned it. You're getting your feet wet here in Buffalo if you're Dalton Kincaid. Uh, and for him, it, I mean, it's to an extreme because before he was drafted by Buffalo, I mean, he, he was dealing with a back injury. He hadn't been cleared. So this is like his first meaningful football last week and this week in quite some time. So to go from no catches in that one uh, participation drills last week to now having five, cut, catching four of the targets is encouraging. It's promising. Uh, it's what you want to see, in it, and it's going to kind of give Ken Dorsey and uh, some of the other offensive play callers ideas of, okay, here's what he does really well. Here's how he's been able to get open for us here in OTAs. Let's see how we can utilize him uh, in this package, or let's have him run this route in this 
uh, you know, in this formation, however it may be. But it's always a good start here to see him get so heavily involved. And obviously today uh, we'll get to the people that weren't participating, but they were down a few receivers, a few pass catchers. So it, it gave Kincaid and some of these other pass catchers more opportunities uh, than maybe they would have had otherwise. And I think, you know, also the juices were flowing out there. I thought it was, you know, as competitive a practice as you could have without pads, not able to hit anybody. Uh, one of the plays I wanted to highlight from Kincaid on the day was just a one-on-one situation uh, against Kyrie Elam, who, you know, he's going into his second year, landing on him in coverage. I, you know, that's a true test for uh, a young uh, pass catcher, and it's one that – Elam had really good coverage on the play, and it was a bang-bang play. Josh Allen went back to pass, kind of saw him break open a little bit. I thought that Elam was going stride for stride with him on the play. Ended up being a contested catch situation. Um, Kincaid ends up being able to make the make the reception. But I think for me, too, it's like all of these reps right now, you're just, you're just putting money in the bank if you're Josh Allen, you know, from that trust factor with Kincaid, right? Like you're going to see all these different ways that you can utilize him in this offense or to get yourself out of trouble. And if he makes these plays in these practice settings, that's going to lead to more trust down the line. I have two clips that I've not put out on social media yet. I wanted to save them for the podcast. I'll, I'll play them here. Uh, real quick, this is just some individual work. Dawson Knox, Dalton Kincaid working with the quarterbacks. Uh, some good stuff. Take a look. And if you're listening on the audio side after the fact, make sure you go find uh, the, the YouTube version, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, wherever you watch. This is about the five-minute mark, and you can watch these clips there. So as you saw in those clips, Ryan, and you know, this happened for the majority of this session of the practice, Josh Allen, just talking through some things, not only with Dalton Kincaid, but Dawson Knox too. This goes back to, you know, Knox's rookie year with getting a chance to work in, in different portions of practice. And they'll take this back, you know, the lessons learned, they'll take it back to the meeting rooms. And this is a really important time, it, not only in developing chemistry and rapport, but understanding for, okay, what am I going to want on a certain route if I'm Josh Allen? What am I going to want want on it? And playing with him, as we know, you got to be able to improvise at times. And I think a lot of this just time on task on the field, huge for a rookie like Dalton Kincaid, who's going to have large expectations. Yeah, and it's great to even see Rob Boris with the teaching there, talking about different scenarios and what to do in those scenarios. And uh, because that's going to happen in, in an actual game, the way someone's playing you and covering you, you might have to break off your route and do something a little bit different. Those swing passes, we haven't really seen the Bills utilize a lot of those in the regular season. So it'd be nice if that could be something that could be added uh, to the offensive arsenal between swing passes, the the lack of the short passing game in terms of screens or successful screens. You know, there's going to be a lot of ways that they can get the ball in the hands of Kincaid. And uh, it's exciting to see them kind of walking through it and talking through it right now. It's a good comment on the screen here, and I want, I want to talk about it a little bit from PJ. 
got to talk about Tor- Dorsey. This is low-key a huge year for him. Hope he is creative with the offense this year, opening up the middle, not just taking deep shots. We've obviously covered Isaiah McKenzie's recent comments on the Ty Dunn podcast. But there's one like little takeaway that I had today from, you know, Ken Dorsey's press conference. And maybe this is just the, you know, the media side in me, but he was asked um, a question. I can't remember the specific one. I'm trying to look it up here. Um, Let me just see here. Well, while I look this up, Ryan, why don't you talk a little bit about this this question and, and your expectations for how Ken Dorsey maybe evolves in year two? Yeah, well, you know, to PJ's point, it is a huge year for Ken Dorsey because you've heard from Brandon Bean this entire offseason how he thinks that Buffalo's Super Bowl window is not just a one-year go-all-in type deal. And uh, to have Ken Dorsey from going into year one last year, and there were some good things with it, knowing how important it is for the Bills' offense to be clicking this year, to be efficient, to be able to move the ball, put up points, it's a key it's a key for this offense and it's a huge year for Dorsey for that very reason because if the bills struggle at all the bills might come back at the end of the season and say you know we like you Ken we, we like a lot about what you're doing but we need someone that's a proven play caller someone that we know can kind of handle the the f- whole four quarters not just put up a, a really solid two and a half quarters three quarters we need someone that can kind of get this offense humming all four quarters and uh, be more productive than what we've had here. That's been too choppy at times. So it's a huge year for Dorsey. There's no, there's no arguing this. And as long as the the Bills feel like they have enough talent on both sides of the ball to compete for Super Bowls, these offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, and obviously it's McDermott this year calling the defense. So not really a defensive coordinator, but it, they're they're always going to be somewhat on the hot seat because you don't want to waste this window with a prime Josh Allen and some of these players that are getting a little bit older, still in their prime, but. Uh, some key players like Stefan Diggs, you know, that, that window is closing a little bit in terms of the prime for wide receivers in general. And for that very reason, Dorsey's entering a pivotal season. So he was asked by Mike Catalana uh, from Wham in Rochester about just like self-evaluation, right? Like, how did you develop yourself as an offensive coordinator last year? And the first real big chunk of his answer, he was talking about like, I don't know if he just lost himself in his answer a little bit, but he was talking about like how like the offense embodies uh, Buffalo and like, you know, when you get punched in the mouth, your hard nose, like, you know, responding and, and, and punching back. And um, truth be told, I had uh, arrived late to the press conference, so I wasn't involved, but I really wanted to follow up on that. And I will ask him about this in the future and just be like, I, I respect that take. I respect you saying that, you want to be like a tough, hard nose, get punch, punch back offense. But that's kind of a crazy thing to say in your first press conference after that Cincinnati game when you had no answers for the punches that the Bengals were throwing. And also it just felt, you know, it was a time for him to self-reflect that he did kind of bring the answer back around. And and I'll, and I'll quote this part of it we could talk about. Uh, you look at his um, – what you look at what you did, you go back and you go through a process with your coaching staff and then on your own as a coordinator and say, okay, in this situation, do I like what we're doing here? Do I think this was effective? Do I like what we did in this game plan? Do I think that we were too aggressive in this situation or were we not aggressive enough? All those different scenarios you want to go back and evaluate and learn from. So I took away from that after like not loving the first part of that, that answer because I felt like it was kind of a little bit of a 
I don't want to say a cop out, but it just, it, it feel like, you know, a little bit coach speak, like, of course, like you want to embody the city that you live in. We've heard that kind of song and dance before. I, I more am interested to hear the realness of first year play caller. Some went, some things went really well in the first half of the season. Some things fell off the rails in the second half. Um, also, Stefan Diggs wasn't uh, brought up in that press conference also, which will get brought up in the next one that we talked to him about. Um, and, and who knows we're you know, obviously we're tracking the DeAndre Hopkins uh, situation. You uh, put out a tweet right before we went uh, a clip from the Adam Schefter podcast. Uh, I'll read it off because I just have it up in front of me. As for the Buffalo Bills and Hopkins, the way it was explained to me is people doubt he will wind up in Buffalo. They never say never, but if he wants his money, I don't think he'll get it in Buffalo, which I think is, about as fair of a way to say it as you can. Uh, we can get into more of that. We talked about it in the emergency pod- podcast earlier. But if we're going into this season with Kincaid as the new piece, McKenzie out and Hardy in, Sherfield in, Kumaro out maybe. Like if we just want to use those rough estimates, I think that there's potential upgrades there. I think there's different flavors. And I think if you're Ken Dorsey, you have to make sure you got the evaluation right and you know how to utilize the pieces that you now have. Yeah, I, I like the second part of, of the Dorsey quote that you put out there because there's a lot of self-reflection there. And it's like anything else. It's not just being an offensive coordinator. Uh, from year one of your occupation to year two, year five, year 10, you would want to be able to say that you look back and you got better at things from when you first started, no matter what that career is. And if you're Ken Dorsey, you know you want to say, okay, we did some really good things last year. There were some games we put up a lot of points, put up a ton of yards. Uh, there were some statistical categories where we were better in 2022 than we were in 2021. But there was also a lot of ineffective play calling. There were games where we let opponents get back in because the offense was too choppy at times. So uh, I do respect the fact that he kind of showed that self-reflection of, okay, were we too aggressive here, not aggressive enough? What can I learn from this? And, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding, so to speak, but time, time will tell. But I do like some of the personnel changes this team made in terms of, the short yardage backs that they they added in here, those guys that can get those tough yards, it's not going to be all Josh Allen uh, finding an upgrade to what they thought they were going to get in McKenzie with Deontay Hardy, adding a true pass catcher in Dalton Kincaid, and then obviously upgrading this offensive line in a variety of ways. So at least they're backing up a lot of it with the personnel moves. Now it's up to Dorsey and this offensive system to utilize that and make this offense more efficient over the course of four quarters in the regular season. I also get what like Dor- what Dorsey was saying. Like if you read this story that's up at the website right now, Dorsey talked about was asked about Kincaid the first question of the press conference. And he was like, listen, he loves his approach. He's a rookie. They're obviously not going to put too much on his plate early on or expectations. Um, you know, they're not going to make them too high. But he came out and said, we're learning him. He's learning us. And we'll kind of see how the role materializes. And it's like, that's a dangerous like world to live in. Coming off of a year where you drafted Kyrie Elam, we, we've chronicled, uh, heavily chronicled, you know, maybe the, the missteps with him in his rookie season. You really have to be careful mismanaging this Kincaid situation. He was drafted for a specific reason. You gave up assets to go up and get him. So now you have to have that plan for him. And I think you almost have to, like, Ryan, in this era, you have to – and this isn't a, a stance on player, modern players or anything, but I think, like, trying to get the best out of young players, like, you got to, like, build them up with confidence a little bit too. And I know that, you know, there's a – got to be careful there. There's a, there's a happy balance. Like, you don't want to sing somebody's praises too much and think they're their – you know, they're the – 
the missing piece, if you will. But you know, this guy was getting compared to Travis Kelsey. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think that anybody's expecting him to come in here and be Kelsey, but they ha- better have a plan to utilize him and make him a part of this offense. I'm just envisioning the Jets game and like the Bills potentially losing that game and Kincaid getting like one target on like 20 snaps. Bills Mafia's head's going to come flying off. I mean, that that is like the worst case scenario. I hope that this wasn't a you know precursor to that. I do think ha- him having a good day here and seeming like he's getting comfortable early is a great sign. But I think if you're Dorsey and if you're Brandon Bean, you're probably pulling Dorsey aside and saying, listen, you could say all that stuff, you know, in the media and publicly, but this is what we're doing with this kid in year one. Yeah. And you're right. Because if you hype a guy up too much and then the scenario happens as you laid out in week one, it's all doom and gloom. And, and, you know, the one thing I will say for bills fans and just in general, tight end is usually a very slow developing position in the NFL. It usually takes some time. Um, that's not to say Kincaid can't come in and make an impact as a rookie and have some really nice games, but you also have to temper your expectations on a week-to-week basis. I I like the player. I like what he can do uh, as just a a pure tight end, as a quasi-slot receiver. There's a lot of ways the Bills can utilize him, Uh, but there's going to be those ebbs and flows in the rookie year. It's just about that consistency and getting him uh, that same amount of reps or more over the course of the season, getting him more targets, getting him more involved and comfortable in this offense as the year goes on. But you're right. You don't want to set up a player with all this hype and then, you know, have them play like a rookie and not get those looks and targets. It can it can really backfire for your offensive coaches, such as Ken Dorsey. It can uh, hurt the player in terms of expectation. So it's a fine line to walk and, you know, Bills fans know from last year with the way they kind of slow played that rookie class. Uh, they don't want to see that again. They want to see an uptick in the production from these players. But t- until we actually see it, it's going to be kind of hard to believe. Um, so once again, it's up to the Bills coaches to put these players, not just Kincaid, but a lot of these rookies in, in spots where uh, they can win early on and make plays and, and help this team win. Yeah, and listen, I – I get the tight end stuff. Um, there's a lot of data out there that suggests that, you know, it takes some time to develop and all that. But like, I also think you have to look at a couple of the situations, like the two examples that a lot of people like to use for tempering expectations for Kincaid is Hawkinson and Fant. right? Look at the offenses that they were drafted into. Those were bottom third offenses, Detroit in 2018, Denver in 2018, they were bottom third of the NFL in passing offense. They didn't have quarterbacks. They didn't have good quarterbacks. And so I don't think that you can extrapolate the results of rookie year Hawkinson and rookie year Fant and somehow put Kincaid in that boat when he's walking into an offense with a bona fide top five receiver and potentially a number two quarterback, number three quarterback, however you want to kind of line that thing up. Some people would even argue that he, he's number one, depending on how you want to make that argument. I, I think that's a little you know, crazy at this point. I know this is a Bills podcast. I don't want to upset anybody, but I, I have de- Patrick Mahomes definitively number one at this point. Um, but, yeah, I think this is a situation. You have to take it situation by situation. And I we're spending a lot of time here. Like, this is an observation show. We're going to get to everything else that I saw at practice. But it's important. And, and this was the first time we heard from Ken talk about Kincaid. And I just – I'm looking down the road a little bit. And, like, this could be something that pops up that we're like, ooh, what's going on here? Yeah, it's it's – Something that could come back and backfire, something that a quote that could be used against him later this year. 
Um, you know, there's a lot of ways to look at, it. or it could be something where, man, he kind of called it in terms of, um, talking about what he wants in this offense and actually being able to do that and, and bring it together. So there's a lot of ways that this can go. And you're right. This is an observation show. We've talked about rookie year, Dalton Kincaid. Let's talk about some second year players that you mentioned, uh, in your observations, which second year player would you like to start with? I was determined to come in here with some real Dorian Williams um, takeaways today. And every time I was out there looking for Dorian Williams, guess who I found? 43, Terrell Bernard. Had himself a really, really nice practice today. And I think, you know, and I mentioned that I talked to him after practice, so I got a, I got a chance to kind of take a download with him. I'll, I'll, I'll save some of that for the story. You can read that later this week. But he just seems to me like a player that, He's gotten a chance to take a deep breath after his rookie season, right? And like recalibrate, come back. He talked a lot about how much navigating the mic spot is this, you know, this huge thing. Like as a rookie, when you're learning all three spots, and he said that he wasn't only learning the mic and the outside, the, the wheel spot, he was learning the Sam too. There was a lot of different things that they were asking him to do playbook wise. And so now he gets a chance to really study the playbook. He spent uh, his summer or his offseason at uh, Exos in Texas uh, training, so he feels like he added some size. He's coming back a little bit, and he looked super comfortable out there today. So the two plays in particular I want to talk about, the interception, splash play, splash city for, for Balin Spectre. I know that's something that you know Bills fans have been waiting for from the linebackers. Uh, Matt Milano not so much, but Edmonds, you know, the last couple of years – really harping on those plays. It was a great play. He kind of hovered around the defensive line. Uh, it was Matt Barkley who didn't see him kind of like, you know, drop into the second level. And then all of a sudden he tries to rip one who, to, I think it was Zach Davidson, the yes. backup tight end. And uh, boom, man, like Bernard goes, he snatches it. He gets the interception. The defense goes absolutely wild. It was a huge splash play, like big time play from a player that's trying to kind of stack days here. Um, yeah, and we'll talk about Balen Spector in a moment here. Yeah, with with Terrell Bernard, any rookie especially, your head's got to be spinning a little bit to go from the college game and some of these defenses to what the NFL is looking for you on a week-to-week basis and what the Bills are looking for. And obviously when he ended up getting that opportunity last year, he, he looked out of place on the field. But from year one to year two, those players can go back to the drawing board. They can work on elements of their game that – the coaches tell them to kind of work on, but you also get more and more comfortable with the playbook, with your responsibilities, where you're supposed to be. And, and now in year two, you're right. This is the opportunity for Bernard to stack some wins, stack some solid plays together. And you mentioned the interception already. You said he had a, uh, what really should have counted as a would be sack as well in this practice. So those are the type of plays you want to see from your, uh, former third round pick last year uh, after drafting another third round linebacker this year in Dorian Williams. So definitely encouraging something you want to see. And in your opinion, Matt, would you say that Bernard's bulked up a little bit from year one to year two? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think he's put on some size. I, I wouldn't sit here and say, wow, he looks, you know, considerably bigger, but he definitely looks like, you know, uh, just a little bit bigger. I mean, watching him go through drills, it doesn't necessarily stand out when the helmet's on and the jersey's on. And that's just never going to be, I don't think, his, you know, his key to being successful in this league is being like a big, like just yoked out like linebacker. But definitely, like he he said, he put an emphasis on, on adding size. He thinks he's done it. He he looked considerably bigger. 
And, and that's coming from a spot where, you know, we were talking a lot about last year, like maybe his future might be even at safety. And so I, I think that, you know, they like him in that spot. And, you know, I thought Bobby Babbage, the linebackers coach, kind of gave uh, a, a, a vote of confidence to him in, in his own way. He was asked about him and, you know, Bernard being this kind of like completely different size profile than Edmonds. And he said when he's watching tape, he doesn't even look at players. He just, he look he thinks of those guys as like shadows and he's not even looking at traits. He's just looking at how do they react? How do they make plays? Uh, I'm sure that you notice it a little bit, but Bobby was doing his thing. I, I, I respect it. Um, but a big practice. And you mentioned the sack. I thought really good explosion. And I thought like the quarterback, I can't remember if it was Allen or, or Kyle Allen or Barkley, but whoever it was, by the time he he got down on him, but bared down on him, and you can't touch anybody, so they can blow the whistle or not. It's kind of like that weird in between. It was a great rep. The interior of the offensive line had no answer uh, for him on that play, and just a really good play from Bernard. Great practice all along. I thought he had really good coverage on the Kincaid incompletion, um, where Kincaid had—I don't want to say had beaten him. He was in a position to make the play, had the throw been a little bit better, but I thought Bernard did did well for himself, and um, that's interesting. Also, side note, and, and I want you to comment on this as well. I asked Bobby Babbage specifically about Dorian Williams, and he called him a matchup linebacker. He did a lot of work on him before the draft, uh, studied him along with some other linebackers, and he he noticed he noted his ability to cover, match against you know, running backs, tight ends, which Brandon Bean has mentioned as well, and the physicality piece. It's just going to be about patience with Dorian Williams as they try to give him that matrix style download of this defense, which is going to be a huge ask in a short period of time here in the next couple months. Yeah. And that's a great way of putting it with Dorian Williams. And in terms of what Babbage is saying about him, it's such a tough spot for him. I think he has the ability to be that uh, matchup type of linebacker that the bills want. And, and he, I believe Babbage is the one that said you want, if you can have two uh, matchup linebackers on the field, you're going to be in really good shape as a defense and, he has all of the intangibles that you're looking for. He's talented enough to do that. It's going to come down to his comfort level in this defensive scheme Scheme in terms of uh, you know, knowing his responsibilities, but also being able to be that signal caller for the defense, be the quarterback of the defense, so to speak, where you're making sure that everyone, you're relaying the play into everyone, getting everyone where they need to be. That's a lot of a responsibility for a, a rookie linebacker in that scenario. And someone in the comments said, uh, kind of compared the, the Bills having Christian Benford out there last season early on as a rookie late-round pick. Completely different position, completely different responsibilities. And Benford, you know, to his credit, had a great summer, but he also had a lot of experience in uh, a zone-heavy scheme in college, so that worked to his advantage. With with a guy like Dorian Williams, yes, he, he played in a defense where uh, he can come in and pick up a lot of what the Bills want him to do. But again, it's not just the playing perspective for him. Because of his position, he's also going to be relaying plays to his teammates, and uh, there's a lot more to it than just being out there and being able to read and react to the plays that are called. Let's uh, break in here with a little. Uh, we got some more observations to get into. I'll even bring you a couple of quick notes before we get out of here on stuff that w- didn't make it into my column uh, for the podcast listeners. I always save a little bit of extra stuff for you guys because I love you. I mean, you spend all your time with us on the live show, uh, listening on all the audio platforms. I definitely want to. Uh, share some 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 extra stuff uh, with you here. Hit that like button, subscribe as well on YouTube. Be on the lookout for our YouTube shorts. We're going to be putting out um, these uh, smaller little clips from the show 
uh, try to uh, generate uh, a little bit more awareness for the show in that kind of smaller pocket size version. June 23rd, get it on your calendar. We are back at Wing Nuts. Special time, 8 p.m. I think I said it last week. It was going to be 7 p.m. We're moving it back a little bit. It's a Friday night. Let people get home from work, adjust, get their plans together. Meet us out at 8 p.m. for the start of the live show. We'll probably be live somewhere around 8.15, uh, and it's going to be a great time. Wing Nuts, 700 Military Road on June 23rd. Come out hang with Ryan and I. Uh, Brandon Shell, let's talk about that a little bit, Ryan. That's not sure. official yet. The Bills uh, are uh, on the path to signing him uh, to the roster. There's some gymnastics that have to happen. Somebody's going to have to get cut. We'll see. Maybe that kind of transpire the, later on this week. Let's start with just your thoughts on the signing and what it means for the offensive line. Yeah, it's quality depth at minimum. And I'm not sitting here saying that a 31-year-old Brandon Shell can come in and win the starting job at right tackle over Spencer Brown, but it, it should give Bills fans a little bit of peace of mind because this is at least someone that comes in with a ton of experience. Uh, 72 starts, 83 games played in his career, double-digit sacks in every season. Or sorry, double-digit sacks. Double-digit starts, excuse me, in every season since 2017. So that's the stuff that you like to hear that, you know, the – the Jets, the Seahawks, the the Dolphins all had that faith in him to be out there for double-digit starts and protecting their quarterback. And, you know, he allowed uh, two sacks last year, had four penalties against him in, in 11 starts, 13 games played. But he, he's definitely a quality option, someone that's going to come in close to the vet minimum, if not at the vet minimum for that one-year deal. Uh, I, I like the signing at this point. The Bills showed initial interest in him in mid-March, about the same time that they showed interest in Puna Ford. And, and, you know, the Bills continued to do their due diligence up to the draft, after the draft, when they didn't necessarily uh, address those positions as maybe they had hoped to do so in the, in the draft or via undrafted free agency. They continued talking with those players, were able to bring them both in. Uh, again, Shell is not official just yet, but... I, I think he's someone that in a pinch can start for you. No problem that, you know, you're not going to be worried about the, Oh gosh, what does that mean for Josh Allen? And, you know, Questenberry's had some decent starts in his career. Doesn't have necessarily the same type of experience as Brandon shell. Uh, but then you have, you know, more inexperienced guys like Tommy Doyle, a guy that they liked uh, coming off of a serious injury. You don't have to worry about a, a guy like Doyle necessarily being elevated into the spotlight. If, Spencer Brown struggled if he had the back injury, if he dealt with any kind of injury whatsoever. You now have that proven entity at least waiting in the wings. Yeah, I mean, like, Shell, to me, is, there's a good comment in here. Like, he's like the, the new version of Bobby Hart. Exactly, right? Somebody that, you know, can kind of come in here, offer some competition, but it's a safe addition because you still are heavily invested in Spencer Brown. Listen to the way that Brandon Bean has talked about him all offseason long. They were going to go out and draft somebody on day two that could play tackle. They weren't going to go out and spend uh, the kind of money like they did on Connor McGovern, which would kind of push you to having to maybe really make it a serious competition. This allows you to, you know, let Spencer Brown pretty much hold that job and see what it looks like in year three, removed from that back injury. And I think that that's fair. Like I, I think for as much as there's been a kind of a frustration or nervousness to the Spencer Brown at right tackle experiment, you voiced it several times. I, I agree with it to a degree, right? Like there's been times it hasn't been great uh, with him, 
But I think if you could find some consistency where we've seen some of the higher end stuff from Spencer Brown, that to me is when you get super great value on a third round draft pick year three and year four, 23 and 24 of a rookie contract. You really are hoping you're, you're pushing all your chips into the middle of the table, hoping that this works out because from a roster building perspective, the value is going to be there in these next two years. And you just don't have the money to allocate at that spot with what you're paying Deion Dawkins, what you're paying Mitch Morris. And then on the other defensive line, what you're paying Daquan Jones at Oliver, 10.5 million now in his fifth year option. And of course, Von Miller. So you got to kind of, you know, cut some corners, some places. And if there's still that upside, that untapped potential for Spencer Brown, they're going to continue to ride that horse. Uh, no pun intended as far as long as they can. Yeah, so when it comes to Spencer Brown, you, you said it. Brandon Bean was talking him up a lot in the offseason in terms of, you know, this is someone that we still have a lot of faith in. He had the back injury last year. He didn't get to play his final season in college. Um, we like what we've seen from him, though, the, you know, thus far in his career. He thought that he got better in year two as the year went on. And, you know, that he's allowed to have that opinion. <sighs> We've also heard GMs, coaches say stuff like that, and then in the draft take a player at the same position in round one, round two, and it kind of just kind of shows it was kind of coach speak or GM speak. The Bills kind of backed up what Brandon Bean was saying by not addressing that position whatsoever. Like you said, they didn't go out and draft a guy on day two to come in and compete with Spencer Brown or go out and sign a big-name free agent. Brandon Shell is is solid. He's a he's a solid player. He's a good depth option. He's a good guy to have to start for you if you need if if needed. But the Bills are showing that they really do have faith in Spencer Brown to make a, a significant leap here in year three. And then, like you said, in that final year of his rookie contract next year as well. Um, one play in particular that Kyer Elam is going to want to forget about from today's practice. Let's get into that uh, next hmm. year. Um. It was against a fourth-year wide receiver, former six-round draft pick of the Indianapolis Colts, number 19 on your uh, roster card. And by your roster card, I mean my roster card. They hand out before every practice. Desmond Patman, 6'4", 225, big body, can move around. I, I'm actually like surprised that there wasn't more uh, interest in him. Um, I'm trying to think back. Was he a futures contract? Um, after the season? Yes, I believe he was. I believe he was a part of the practice squad late in the year, and then he was the Futures contract. Uh, good size. Uh, like you said, former draft pick, obviously day three yeah. guy. But, it, you know, in, in terms of the size and in terms of the athleticism, he's worth trying to develop here in, in Buffalo for sure. Yes, he was. He got a reserve Futures contract after last season. And somebody that I think, you know, just keep an eye on, somebody that could be – one of those valuable practice squad guys that if you suffer a couple injuries, maybe you could get a call up, somebody to kind of track for sure. Um, and this play, Ryan, um, it was it was competitive, right? So I think um, he gets he gets a little separation at the line of scrimmage, makes a really good move, 1v1 versus Kyrie Elam. And listen, let's not take too much from this and like, you know, Kyrie Elam is looking like trash at, at practice. It's nothing like that. It was one rep where a, a young, tall, fast, big wide receiver made a good move. Elam actually recovered on the route. He he made some ground back up. It was just a perfectly placed, placed ball from, I believe it was Kyle Allen, uh, back of the end zone. Patman makes the catch. It is like just picture perfect in every way, and Elam's on the losing end of it. 
a rep he's definitely going to want to forget and want to erase uh, moving forward. You don't want too many of those piling up, even though it's that non-contact uh, contact part of practices. But a nice play for a young uh, wide receiver that's uh, trying to make some noise. Yeah, and this isn't to say that Kyrie Elam wasn't out there giving it his all, but for a guy like Patman, you're playing for your NFL life. You're you're trying to make an impression here early. Tell this coaching staff, listen, I deserve a spot on this 90-man roster. I deserve opportunities this summer. Uh, get me onto the field in the preseason. Show what I can do. And, and, you know, it doesn't mean he'd be the odd man out, but with all the, the talk and the hype around a potential signing of DeAndre Hopkins – it's very likely that if the Bills were able to pull that off somehow, a wide receiver would be the odd man out potentially. And so for a guy like Patman, you want to build up these plays and have those moments where the coaching staff looks back at the film and says, hey, that was a really nice route, really nice catch, really nice job against our uh, first round pick one year ago. And, and like you said, it wasn't like Elam was uh, terrible out there. It was good coverage. He, he kind of, he was able to recover, make uh, make uh, make it a tight play, but Patman ended up on that winning side of that. So it's it's great for a player like that because, like I said, he knows that he is playing for his NFL life at this point in terms of being on a practice squad, potentially trying to get that opportunity to play in the regular season if injuries were to occur. So uh, good for Patman stepping up when when uh, the opportunity arose for him today. These are. Very important practices for guys like Patman, because if you think about the NFL life cycle, right, like the coaching carousel, the front office carousel, all the people that are watching Patman and a lot of these younger, like unheralded guys on a day like today, those little plays like stick in their mind. Like, you know, how many guys have gotten plucked and, and um, uh, women have gotten plucked from this organization and are now in other roles on other teams. And when, you know, roster spots open up, those kinds of things like stick out to people. And um, I thought it was really interesting the way um, he, he made a play on a day where Stefan Diggs isn't there. Gabe Davis wasn't there. And so that all of a sudden elevates so many people to opportunities that they probably wouldn't have had in that same situation. There's not many reps where Patman is going one versus one against Elam, where he's able to make that kind of impression. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it because uh, if Diggs and Davis were out there, you know, those upper echelon receivers are probably getting those routes against Elam. So uh, rose to the opportunity with the with that being there for him. So kudos to him. All right, let's get to um, what I thought was the most fun exchange I've seen. Definitely this spring, but of any spring I can remember, I'd have to go back through all my notes and who's got time for that. But. <laughs> It was as competitive as it gets without pads on, Ryan. It was Khalil Shakir, again, talking about opportunities with Davis and Diggs not there, versus Christian Benford, and it was a full-blown battle, okay? Stride for stride, sticky coverage from Benford. Allen had to put a ball that was just gorgeous, Josh Allen. And and we got to kind of differentiate that now because we have a couple Allens at quarterback. And this ball, Ryan, like – probably like 25, 30 yards, had to kind of like put it over Benford. Um, Khalil Shakir was moving uh, right to left towards the kind of back, like back part of the end zone. Shakir goes up, secures the catch with Benford draped all over him. Benford immediately gets his hands and wrestles in to get a, a good clutch of that ball. And those two dudes start fighting for the ball all the way down to the ground. Now, I'd say... 
10 to 12 seconds later, Benford pops up with the ball. But when, it, when you go down and there's a pile there, which there was for a second, a pile meaning, you know, a couple of players kind of hovered around, the referee's going to blow the whistle and they're going to pull it up. And if the, both guys are holding the ball, Ty goes to the offense. So I'd give him a touchdown in that situation. But man, if you want to talk about two second year guys just competing their butts off a fifth round pick and a sixth round pick, man, that was a fun exchange to watch. Yeah, and it's funny because just the last segment you talked about the cycle of an NFL player, and, and Shakir is still very early in his NFL cycle, but last year at this time, Bills fans were hyped about this guy. I mean, got him on day three. There was a lot of national analysts saying he was a, a day two type of player, and now he's not. he really isn't talked about by Bills fans as much as I think uh, because of all the excitement over the potential Hopkins uh, talk mm-hmm. and the draft Kincaid and what does that mean for a guy like Khalil Shakir, if Kincaid's taking a lot of reps out of the slot, you know, Shakir can play inside outside first and foremost, but two, uh, I had fun watching some of these workouts that he posted this, uh, this off season going into year two, working with Eric molds, a, a former bills wide receiver that, you know, very similar to Shakir and had a very quiet rookie season. And, and I'm not saying that uh, Khalil Shakir is going to be the next Eric molds because molds, that absolutely had like this monster career in Buffalo. Uh, but I, I'm interested to see what he looks like in year two. And Josh Allen last week was talking about the opportunities that Shakir has earned and the trust that he's gained from him. And he's just a player that, you know, Bills fans don't forget about him because he's a very talented receiver. He put in a lot of work this offseason uh, to try to make a, a case for him to get more playing time this year. So, Nice to hear that he had that uh, battle with, with Christian Benford, and both players are, are really competing here early on uh, in the early parts of the summer here in OTAs. And Shakir, again, like it's it's a continuation of last year. I mean, when you see him out there, he he has like depth to his game. Like There's so many different things that he can do, and I think that's what's going to ultimately force Dorsey's hand to get him on the field because he's – it's why even down the stretch last year, after they went and got Beasley in the playoff games, they still ended up finding a, you know opportunities for Shakir because he can do so many different things. And I think you know a year removed to your point, like I think he's going to come in like a much different player. And they have now that little like group of three behind Davis and Diggs. It's really interesting. And it's going to be fun. He he made a couple good plays today. I think he's going to. I'm going to continue to watch him closely. Every time he's on the field, I feel like you know Josh Allen continues, like he said a couple weeks ago, developing trust in the kid. Um, quick note on Justin Shorter. I didn't write about this because I didn't want anybody to take it and run with it too far. Uh, we'll talk about it a little bit more in this setting where I can give a little bit more um, perspective on it. You know, I I feel like to me we're we're trending towards Shorter being the guy that gets you super high and then maybe sometimes super low, right? Like he'll make a play where you're like, you just saw it all. You saw the athleticism, the physicality, the quickness, the speed, the upside, the potential. And then he'll make a play where it was just like a a quick one over the middle. I can't remember who threw it. It wasn't a great play, but only shorter is there to make the play, make the catch. And he just, he bobbled it and it went to the ground and he, and he didn't make it. And you're just like, Ooh, I hope that doesn't become a thing. And I know that's, you know, appeared in some of his, you know, the write-ups, but there, you know, the one play that he did make was, you know, a good catch. Nope. Got separation, got, got the ball in space and, and turned it up field. And that's the setting that I'm really excited to see what he looks like in a game. Like to me, shorter is high on the list of 
preseason must-watch players because I think there's going to be potential for some young hi- or some fun highlights. Yeah, fun highlights, but also you know battling out for a final roster spot or two. It's going to be interesting to see how many wide receivers this team carries. Uh, behind the obvious locks of, of your Diggs and Davises of, of the world, you, you mentioned Shakir kind of in that uh, in the same pot as the Trent Shurfield, as the Deontay Hardy. And, and then all of a sudden you're already at five right there. So Shorter is going to be in the mix. They brought in a lot of undrafted free agents. They have some other talented guys on this roster, too. We just mentioned Patman. So. You know, this summer in in general, training camp, preseason, there's going to be a lot of wide receivers to watch and some fun uh, battles on the bottom of the roster. Because when you have a Super Bowl roster like the Bills do, you you know that a lot of these starting jobs are locked up. But there's going to be so many guys fighting for that one, two, last two or three spots on this roster here, uh, all the way to the final part of the summer. Because with the final cut downs and the way it's worked out this year, players are going to get more opportunities than they did in years past, where there was the initial cut down and then the second cut down. Um, thank you for watching. Uh, this is an awesome turnout. Almost 400 yeah. uh, live across the platforms. And actually, I just realized Facebook isn't working some for some reason hmm. with StreamYard. So we are live right now only on YouTube and Twitter. So thank you so much for those of you uh, that have been able to tune in. If you do usually watch on Facebook and you're, you're scrambling to try to find us, apologies. We'll get that uh, figured out. If you're watching on YouTube, like the video, subscribe to the channel. We really appreciate it. June 23rd, 8 p.m. at Wingnuts. Shout live returns. Ryan Talbot will be there. He'll uh, give you his autograph. It is a great time. A <laughs> um, couple of things real quick before we get out of here. Number one, Stefan Diggs, Gabriel Davis, Shaq Lawson, AJ Epinesa. Um, who are the other ones here? Von Miller, Ed Oliver, Tim Settle, all uh, not in attendance. Uh, today at uh, voluntary OTAs. Uh, very important to kind of get that note in. I don't think it's a big deal. There, you know, a lot of these 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 dudes probably had uh, a reason come stemming from the holiday weekend. I would imagine uh, the people that aren't there. I mean, fourth year guys, um, veterans like Tim Settle, like Davis and uh, AJ Epinesa. They've been around here a long time. Actually, Eric Washington asked about AJ Epinesa this today and was asked about his um, expectations for him in year four. He said, well, he had six and a half last year. The goal is double-digit sack. So laying the gauntlet down for A.J. Epinesa. I thought that was an interesting quote there. Yeah, it is an interesting quote because he he kind of snuck up on you with those six and a half sacks. And at the end of the day, though, that's still a good output for him in uh, going into the, a huge season for him where you know that Von Miller is going to miss a little bit of time. You have – big expectations for Gregory. So, but Epinesa, those expectations should be there too, to continue to improve and, and to gain on those totals. But it, it, you know, if some of these pass rushers aren't here uh, for this voluntary, as you mentioned, OTAs, it's good for those younger players that they have on this roster to show what they can do uh, to show that they're worthy of a roster spot, competing for one of those final spots, competing for a practice squad spot. So just like we've talked about with the wide receivers playing at these other positions too, where a lot of veterans are out, it's giving them opportunities that maybe they wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, and then finally, let's uh, dive into this um, running backs room today. That's uh, that's my final observation that I want to get into. First and foremost, all of them were there. The the four-headed monster, if you will, were all in attendance. And my big takeaway, man, James Cook, 
I, I think he's getting ready for a big breakout season. Um, I, I to me, sometimes with players like being around practices enough now over the years, you you got to be careful not to overhype somebody. But sometimes guys just like look the part, right? Like, I feel like you've seen it over the years for, you know, different draft picks. I, I think in a lot of ways, I think back to Gabe Davis as a rookie, right? And, and going into year two, even after they went out and they brought in Emmanuel Sanders, I'm like, man, this dude looks like he's ready to just be a beast. And I think James Cook to me falls into that category. Uh, I, I think he is trending towards RB1 with a uh, exclamation point. Uh, he made a couple plays today. The one that stood out is exactly what Brandon Bean drafted him to do. Kind of ran a nice pattern, got down the left sideline, one-on-one with Matt Milano, ran past him. Allen, Josh Allen puts in a dime on him. He makes the catch, uh, starts to run downhill, made a couple really nice moves with the ball in his hands. One in particular kind of, you know, decleated Terrell Bernard a little bit, like put him <laughs> in a put him in the blender there. The dude's got moves. He's got great footwork. I think that he's coming in after them being willing to move on from, from Devin Singletary and bringing in a specific um, flavor of running back in Damian Harris and Latavius Murray. They, he, I, I would imagine he feels like here, and we're probably never going to hear this from James Cook. He's a man of very few words, but here, here is the, the baton run with this backfield and let's see what it looks like. Yeah, and the big, you know, I don't want to say knock, but the criticism is his size. And, and can he put on enough weight to kind of be a, a three-down back for this team? And the fact that he looks bigger, that's encouraging. Uh, because when he was given opportunities last season, especially late last season, we saw him rip off 10, 12, 20-yard runs. And uh, I don't want to say it was a regular occurrence, but there's a reason why he was atop a the league in yards per carry. He just didn't qualify because he didn't get enough touches. So if he can maintain that explosiveness and, and – be able to break away from that first line of defense of opposing teams. I think he could be in for a really big year, uh, but having someone like Damian Harris in here in Buffalo for the short yardage situations, uh, Latavius Murray, that's going to be big for this team. And then obviously there's still uh, Naheem Hines too. And how are they going to finally utilize him this season after trading for him at the deadline one year ago? Awesome stuff. Um, Harris was, he made a couple of plays, Latavius Murray, Murray, I mentioned, and Naheem Hines, like, I wouldn't rule him out, Ryan. Like, I wouldn't rule him out from being somebody that just makes things, you know, messy for them trying to figure out what, um, game day rosters are going to look like. And, you know, maybe it's a situation where they get to the season and they say, all right, let's roll with Hines, Harris, and cook because Murray can be in that role of let's save him till we need him. Let's put him on ice. He's a veteran. He's 33 years old. He's not going anywhere. You could probably get him on your practice squad. Let him be this year's version of Duke Johnson. Remember last year, you know, Duke Johnson spent the whole season on the practice squad. Latavius Murray before Denver plucked him, spent most of the year on the practice squad for the Saints. So it's, it's, at least plausible. And it's something where I think that this gives them a lot of different options and it's, it's trending out. I, I like the, the way their backfield looks. Yeah, I do too. I mean, it, you, you have the quality depth. Uh, you have an intriguing number one option in James cook. Like I said, he, he did flash at times last year when given those opportunities uh, and you have some different flavors there in terms of the skill sets of these other guys you bring in, two undrafted free agent guys as well that you want to develop and bring along. So uh, I like this room quite a bit. I feel like they have a lot of talent and depth and it's going to be fun to watch them this summer. 
All right. Um, that's going to do it for us on this observations uh, show. Um, thank you so much for watching live, man. Over 300. On, on, right, as everybody's getting out of work, uh, shout, shout mafia is uh, as good as it gets. And we appreciate you uh, tuning in, uh, Bills fans. We will see you. Um, I don't know if we're going to do another show this week. We might. You never know. There might be a reason yeah. to do an emergency pod. You never know. Um, or, or, or maybe something else uh, comes up. Uh, he's Ryan Talbot. I'm Matt Perino. Again, one last shout out. Get it on your calendars. June 23rd, live at Wingnuts, 8 p.m., 700 Military Road. We'll see you next time. Take care, everybody.